0: in the name of Jesus. Today we hear of the first of his signs, the very first miracle that Jesus performed. This is also the first time that Jesus manifested his doxa, his glory. It had now been 30 years since the angels first sang of this glory, glory to God in the highest, And on earth, peace among those with whom he had been pleased. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary had been waiting all of this time, pondering these things in her heart. What patience on her part. And for all who had witnessed Christ's birth, listened to him teach with authority as a young lad in the temple... Heard the Father speak from heaven that Jesus was his beloved Son. Saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him in the form of a dove. Patience most certainly is a virtue. And here we have today 30 years of waiting. And much more. Much more if you count the millennia dating back to the promise of a Savior after the fall of Adam and Eve how impatient we sinners can be but here comes jesus here he comes all according to god's perfect timing which is a great promise for you not to be lost in all of this pomp and circumstances that jesus chose a wedding A marriage of one man and one woman as the venue to manifest his doxa, his glory, and to perform his very first miracle. How important marriage thus is. How God sanctifies and protects the estate of holy matrimony that a man and woman may find delight in one another and bring forth children. Such truth needs emphasizing especially in our culture, and the devil who twists sexuality into a personal choice, a decision, and a make-me-feel-good attitude which discounts our Father's holy and reverent plan for what it means to be male and female, man and woman, husband and wife. And our sinful nature, well... It also leads us to pursue the intimate nature of a one-flesh union, turning God's good gift into the abuse, the sin of fornication, of hooking up with whomever or whatever we may so desire. May it not be so among us Christians. May we repent of our actions and selfishness, receiving his absolution which enables us to wear white, that makes us white as snow. You see, at the time of Jesus, marriage and the one-flesh union between a man and a woman, a husband and wife, typically occurred when a man was at least 18 years of age and a young woman was 13 or 14. Most marriages were arranged by the parents, but it was important that there was an interest between the man and woman. To be fair, marriage at the time of Jesus was more about survival than romance, meaning that marriage was a joining of families and vocations. There would normally be a one-year period of engagement or betrothal where the arrangements between the families would be made, specifically where the groom and his family would pay a dowry to the bride's family. As she was a working member of her household, this was to compensate the family for her departure and also to have something set aside for her in case her husband died. Then came the wedding celebration, which typically lasted, you ready for this, for five to seven days. Most weddings occurred in the autumn after the harvest had been gathered and finances were in good order. The wedding would begin with a procession. But it was quite different from what we typically see or have experienced in our weddings today. For us, a wedding is all about the procession of the bride coming down the aisle, escorted normally by her father. And boy, that's the stuff that little girls' dreams are made of, right? Movies like Father of the Bride and J Lo as a Lonely Wedding Planner. But historically, And scripturally speaking, the wedding procession back in Jesus' time and before that was quite different. The emphasis was actually on the bridegroom. Wow, that's really strange for us. But keep this in mind as we explore more of Jesus' first miracle. The big procession at the time of Jesus was the crowd of people that would follow the bridegroom to the home of the bride. His family and friends, as well as his best man, known as the master of ceremonies, or from our text today, master of the feast, would accompany him. And it was a grand affair. The beautifully dressed bride would be picked up and carried by the bridegroom and his party, usually on some sort of a, a litter or mobile tent, the procession, the crowd would then go to the home of the bridegroom's parents who would bestow a blessing, usually speaking or singing words of scripture. Historians record that the words from Song of Solomon were often used in this procession, especially Solomon 3 verse 6. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant. The bride would then withdraw with her bridesmaids to prepare for the next day. Meanwhile, the bridegroom and family would dance, drink, eat and play games. The next day was the actual wedding feast. However, the bridegroom and the bride were still separated and all of the men and women as well would be separated. They would actually eat a meal that would be separate from one another. This was the time when gifts would be presented. The bride would sit under a canopy, usually surrounded by ten bridesmaids. And then once again, toward the evening, the bridegroom would come. Again, in grand procession, he would come to the bride. Then there would be an exchange or dialogue between the bridegroom and the bride. There are differing accounts from history, but commonly used again were words of Holy Scripture, such as Song of Solomon 1, verses 2 to 4 by the bride. She would say, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you, take me away with you, let us hurry, let the king bring me into his chambers. And the bridegroom would then respond from Song of Solomon 2, verses 13 to 14. Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Now that the couple was together, the rest of the men and women would then come together as well. The couple would be under a canopy and receive additional blessings of Scripture, toasts, and greetings. And then, only then, would the bridegroom and the bride leave the wedding feast to consummate the marriage. Their first time of a one-flesh union as husband and wife. Unlike today, couples back then would not leave on a honeymoon, but they would return the next day as husband and wife, and sometimes for a few more days after that for more wedding festivities. You see, weddings at the time of Jesus were a huge family and community event with an emphasis on three very important things. Number one, the coming of the bridegroom. Number two, the separation of men and women And the belief that it was a gamos, a wedding, that united a man and a woman as husband and wife. Number three, the one flesh union of a man and woman was never to take part outside of family, community, and the blessing of God through Holy Scripture. Now, I hope you enjoyed this little walk through history, but we would be remiss if we didn't look at the role of Jesus at this particular wedding in our text for today. Number one, he and his disciples have specifically been invited to this wedding. Number two, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is probably a relative of the bridegroom or bride and seems to play an important role in the planning and coordinating of this particular wedding. Number three, we're not sure why, but they've run out of wine. It could be that the bridegroom and his family were not that wealthy Or it could be that with the attendance of Jesus and the disciples and others that may have tagged along, they simply had a larger crowd than they had expected. Number four, Mary wants Jesus to do something. Number five, Jesus responds appropriately and seemingly says, "Um, Mom, this is not my wedding. I'm not in charge or responsible here. Number six, Jesus says, this is not my hour. Implying either that Jesus is not getting married just yet, which has a much deeper meaning for you and me who know the rest of the story. Because you see, Jesus is the bridegroom. And just as Jesus came to this wedding where he did his first miracle, so he comes to the bride. And the bride is you, his church. What is Jesus' wedding? It is when he who knows no sin becomes sin for you, for you his bride, that you might become the righteousness of God. It is when Jesus processes to Jerusalem to consummate the marriage, processing to the cross where he picks up all of your sin and wretchedness and carries it into death and hell. Thus, this wedding that we hear of in John chapter 2 is not the hour of Jesus. But Jesus, well, Jesus is as Jesus does. He cares for those that are in need. He cares for husbands and wives. He desires that families be protected and defended from sin, from death, and the devil. And so he acts. He acts out of love and compassion. He takes simple water and turns it, not just into any old wine, but he turns it into the finest, the best, the choicest of wines. And this echoes and fulfills the words of Scripture from our Old Testament text, Amos 9.13, The mountain shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Ironically, the best man, the master of the feast, called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you, you have kept the good wine until now. Did you catch that? The bridegroom at the wedding that Jesus attended is given the credit for the miracle. But it wasn't him. It was Jesus, the true bridegroom. And so it is with you. The righteousness of the bridegroom of Jesus is credited to you. What a miracle. Romans chapter 4 tells us that the one who believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is Jesus' first sign, his first miracle, the first revelation of his doxa, his glory, and it is for you, his bride, your sins of adultery, of fornication, forgiven. Let us see and believe the bridegroom who processes from heaven to redeem us poor sinners on earth. Let us drink deeply of the sweet wine that he provides in the absolution and the supper. Let us marvel and live as his bride, beautifully clothed in the waters of holy baptism, that we may live united with him in faith. Let us see the marriage feast of the Lamb of God who joins with us poor sinners and endures the punishment our sins deserve and yet credits us with his righteousness. Let us preserve our young men and women and their virginity until their own weddings. Let us protect and extol the godly virtues of marriage and family and let us lift up our heads and patiently await the return of our bridegroom And the end of all strife. In the name of Jesus.